But let me ask you, let me start with a question. When did you last go out of your comfort zone? I guess if you want to think about really going out of your comfort zone, how about trying bungee jumping? Uh, that should do it for you. But it doesn't have to be th that drastic. It can be in little ways. So Mercy had to come and live in a house with a dog in it. She'd never done that before. That was going out of her comfort zone. That was scary. And, but there are others of us who have to go out of our comfort zones, maybe sit, sit and eat, and the cucumbers turning up on the plate. Uh, and the comfort zone is uh, left behind. Well, our times when we go out of the comfort zone normally aren't too much of a problem because usually we can look back on someone else who's gone out of the comfort zone the same way and they've managed to survive. So the person on the bungee jump, as he looks down, he'll see the last person who jumped off the platform hasn't ended up in a mass of spreading red on the pavement below and they think well maybe I'll live too and usually the kind of leaving of the comfort zone someone else has done it and therefore we can try it too but tonight we're going to be talking about someone leaving a comfort zone which has never ever been done before a Jew will meet a Gentile and that hasn't happened before, even in the time of Jesus. When a Gentile woman came to Jesus and asked him to help her, he said, I didn't come for you. He did help her, but he said, I didn't come for you. When a centurion sent for Jesus to come to his house, he had to quickly send another message saying, I know you can't come under my roof, just say the word. Matthew chapter 8, verse 7. So even Jesus hasn't gone into this uh, time with Gentiles where Peter will. And yet it seems that God as a divine electrician has got two wires in his hands. One's Jew, one's Gentile. And when he brings those wires together, the current flows through to spread right across the world. And that's the reason why I'm standing in front of you today and why you are sitting in front of me today because none of us are Jewish. We might have some Jewish blood somewhere down the line, but none of us are Jewish. <coughs> and yet we get to hear because on one day in Acts chapter 10, God put the two wires <coughs> together and the connection resulted in a worldwide gospel from this moment on. We're going to therefore study this very, very exciting day a day in which two men are converted. They have to change their minds about God in a very, very big and significant way. The big conversion is the first man we read about who is Cornelius. And you read about him in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, you get to know what his rank is. He's a centurion. Uh, in the British Army, that would be the equivalent rank of a captain. He is in command of about 100 men. And he serves in a regiment of Italians, the Italian cohort. That's his regiment. In other words, they've come from far, far away to work in this particular posting out in Caesarea. So, make no mistake, this man, we're told the details to reassure us that this is not a fairy story. This is real. The man really uh, was there and he lived. 
And it sounds, the way you looked at it first, is that he's been good and therefore God sees that he's been good and therefore sends an angel. But really, the better way to look at it is to see that this man has been prepared by God in advance of the angel coming. So if you look at what's happened in uh, verse uh, 2, you see that he's a devout man who feared God. But hardly surprising if a Roman who's come from Italy where they serve many gods in the Roman Empire and comes into a posting where he meets Jewish people and he finds their one God attractive where he wants to devote himself to the one God. can't devote yourself to many. And you can see that actually he uh, uh, gave arms generously to people because I imagine that he probably saw that unlike the morality of people in Rome where everybody was degenerate, here were people who were actually following God's laws whose lives were attractive and he wanted therefore to support them and serve them in the way that he could. And I imagine that they actually told him that here was a God who actually listened to people when they talked to him and therefore he was happy in verse 2 at the end to pray continually. So he's already been prepared by God learning things about God and God has therefore been at work not to reward him for his goodness but to create a seeker. And he says this seeker is to go and find Simon who is called Peter in verse 5. So there's that Cornelius who's prepared and he's pointed, go to Peter. But really, if you could interview Cornelius and discover the main things that he learned that day, and I want to rush on to tell you because I don't want to spend too much time with him, but he is a man who is converted, who becomes Christian, and there are three things that he would say he was learned. The first thing he would learn is that being good isn't good enough. It won't save you. You have to hear a message that will save you. So if you look at chapter 11, verse 14, which is when Peter tells the same story to his friends, you will see in chapter 11, verse 14, actually you need a Bible for that, won't you? Otherwise, you fall asleep and you won't read the Bible either. Um, uh, so he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. If you don't have the message, you won't be saved. So the good man, the devout man, the praying continually man, he needs to hear a message to save him because being good isn't good enough. Second thing he learns is that you won't get to hear Jesus yourself. The only way you will get to find out what Jesus is like is to go to the eyewitnesses. Those in verse 40 who, like Peter, have uh, uh, in verse 41 been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So you won't get a private viewing. You've got to take it from the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus who can tell us what he is like. Third thing he learned is that listening to God isn't just something for him to do, it's for his friends and family. That's why in verse 24 he gets the full house. Everybody who knows, he is invited. I want them to hear about this God. And it's not just for me. And so although Peter is just a man, 
he treats him as if Peter was God. And so in verse 33, he says, I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore we're all here in the presence of God to, all that he, to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord to say. So it's a fantastic thing to just say to yourself as you begin to read the Bible and study it with other people. Here we are assembled, and we want to hear what God has to say to us today. Will you just think about that for a minute? Okay, that's what this evening is about. Assembling to hear what God has to say. That's what Sundays in church are all about. And these are three lessons that every single converted person has to learn. Oh dear, you can't see very much on that screen. Um, I should have made the writing. Uh, uh, but you've got them on your notes. Okay? Being good isn't good enough. Trust our witnesses. This is for your friends and your family as well. Every single converted person would have those three lessons to learn. And his conversion, as I said at the start, is big. Why is it so big? Because at the end of that whole process, Cornelius is filled with God. The Holy Spirit is poured out on him and his household and his friends and his family. Because they're all gathered to hear the word of God and now they hear the word of God and believe it and now the Holy Spirit comes and is poured out on them. And as he listens to Peter, he realizes that all his little good works is a small little thing compared to all that Jesus has done. God sending his son is far bigger than anything that Cornelius has managed. So it's a great conversion for him that is mainly what God has done for him and God now working and living in him. What a wonderful thing to happen. A great conversion. But I want to say an even greater conversion to place in the other man, Peter. And he is the one who has the bigger trip to make in his understanding about God. It might surprise you to say that uh, he needs to be converted too because if you look at the end of chapter 9 it looks like well Peter himself is really like Jesus himself. What's there to convert about him? Because if you look at what happened with uh, uh, Aeneas who is there in verses 32 to 35 you will see that here's a paralyzed man and Jesus says to him get up and make your bed and go home, essentially. And if you remember the story of Jesus, you know that in Mark chapter 2, a paralyzed man came to him, and Jesus said, get up and take your bed and go home. Almost an identical replica of what happened in Mark 2. Except this man that Peter meets has been only paralyzed for eight years, and instantly, the word paralyzed here is uh, slump bodied. So you probably had a stroke eight years ago. And uh, that's a little detail that Luke, who's a doctor, wants us to know. Okay? But it's like God has, if you like, given Peter the first stepping stone. That has now brought him just a little bit nearer to where Cornelius lives. 
And then there's a second stepping stone, because when they hear about uh, uh, what, what Peter had done um, at uh, Lydda, well, in Joppa, there's this other disciple called Tabitha, or Dorcas. And Dorcas died. And Peter goes and he brings Dorcas back to life, the same way that Jesus did in Mark chapter 5. That's in your notes as well. And what happened when Jesus went into the house of a 12-year-old girl? He put everybody outside the house and then he prayed. And the words that he said and the words that Peter said, just one letter difference. In Mark 5, Jesus says, Talitha kumi, kumi which is little girl arrives. Here it's Tabitha Kumi. Just one letter difference. And uh, the two miracles are the same. But not quite the same. Because Peter is not Jesus. And so with Aeneas, uh, he has to say, Christ Jesus heals you in verse 34. Not me, I can't do this. Jesus in Mark 2 said... I say to you, get up and walk. Peter obviously hasn't got that authority, but in the name of Jesus, he heals him just as Jesus did. And when he gets to Tabitha, again, he can't just simply say to the, the woman, as Jesus said to the girl, uh, Tab Tabitha, arise, or Talitha, uh, yes, Tabitha, arise. He has to pray first in verse 40. Then he can say those words, Jesus has to do that. So it does, though, show us that Peter is a very special apostle, reproducing the works of Jesus. But look at this. He's only doing it with Jewish Christians. It's in, in this context that he meets Aeneas in verse 32, because he's come down to be with the saints. That's uh, short word, word of describing an old, uh, uh, a Hebrew Christian. And then there's the disciples in verse 36 who are around uh, Tabitha in, 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 uh, in Lydda. So he's just sticking with the Jews. But then you get to the third stepping stone because now he's in Joppa, he's staying with a man called Simon, and Simon is a dirty, smelly Jew. That's because he's a tanner. And tanners spend all their time working with dead things. The minute you touch a dead thing if you're Jewish, you're so many unclean, and therefore it wouldn't have been diplomatic to ask Simon, when was the last time you went down to the temple? Because he's not allowed to go anywhere near if he's that unclean. And what's more than being unclean, he smells. He's a tanner. And you've got rotten animal carcasses all around you. It's stank. I imagine that's the reason why they made him go, made him go and live by the sea. Uh, which is not just an easy address to find. It's just, you know, well, you just get to the down, downwind of the sea breezes and it'll take you there. He's so smelly. You know, in Jewish uh, custom... Uh, there was only one situation when a woman could divorce her husband. You know what that was? 
when she found, when she, when she married a tanner. And she could divorce him on the grounds that she didn't know how bad the smell would be. <laughs> and yet, therefore, he's one step nearer Cornelius. The stepping stones have moved him one step closer every time. And the next thing is, he has a vision in verse 11. Now it might have been, a, you know, he's on the roof, he's praying, he's facing the sea, and it could be that he's seen a sailing boat. So you can just about picture the scene, can't you? Hot summer's hot day, and a sailing boat's going past, he's drowsy, and he's hungry. And God can use the natural things to turn it into a supernatural message, and therefore he sees essentially like a sail, a sheet coming down, and it's got in it all the unclean animals, the Jews, were not supposed to eat. And three times God tells Peter to kill and eat, and three times Peter says, no, that's wrong. That's true Peter, isn't it? Vintage Peter, this, because he's got runs on the board for disagreeing with God at every opportunity he can. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. You're asking me to do the wrong thing. But the big message that Peter only learns later in verse 28 is it's not unclean food that God wants him to eat but to meet with unclean people. See, the whole point of the Jewish food laws is that they were there to keep them away from non-Jewish people. It was nothing to do with hygiene in the food that you ate. So there was nothing wrong with eating pork. The only thing wrong about eating pork is that the pork eaters worshipped idols. And so God had food laws that stopped you meeting with the pork eaters and therefore stopped being distracted and maybe diverted from the true and living God to the gods the pork eaters would follow. And so therefore the food laws were there purely for religious purity. But now the Jews have taken them and turned them into racial hatred. And so therefore the Jews believed that God made Gentiles only to feel the fires of hell. And they had a law that if a person, if a Jewish woman, uh, sorry, if a, if, a, if a Gentile woman was having a baby and she was having difficulties, you were not to go and help her because that would only bring another Gentile into the world. The hatred was enormous, intense. And you could say the two groups didn't mix that well. But God isn't going to let that racial hatred stop him what he's always wanted to do since Genesis chapter 12, which is where he tells Abraham, I want to make you, and again the notes are there, um, written down, in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, he tells Abraham that his intention is to take Jewish people, that's Abraham's family, and to make them a blessing to non-Jewish Gentiles. So right from the beginning of the Bible, it was always in God's mind for Cornelius to hear about Jesus. 
But it's only when Jesus came that they started saying, okay, now is the time that you can go and meet with the pork eaters and not be contaminated and be won over onto their side, but to win them onto yours. And that's exactly what Jesus himself wanted them to do in chapter 1, verse 8. You remember uh, uh, Rob's uh, slide earlier on, how he went from uh, Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth? Well, it's there in chapter 1, verse 8. That is what Jesus wanted to happen. Wanted to get to... Jesus wanted the disciples to get to Cornelius in the end. And even before Jesus, in the Old Testament, you can see in um, uh, uh, what uh, Peter says, uh, and I can't remember what verse it is, I think it's around 43, um, where Peter says, look, all the prophets bear witness, so we're talking about the Old Testament, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Again, there aren't any exceptions. So God's always more, more made it very clear that he wanted Cornelius to hear. But no one was going near Cornelius. And so all they've done so far is to reach Jews and half-Jews, Samaritans. And God has to say to Peter, no, time to go outside the comfort zone. And so Peter, three times, is told, you've got to ditch the word unclean. And then you've got God's perfect timing of Cornelius's three men turning up in verse 19. And you kind of see the, the two, three going together, the, 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 the thing going together, can't you? So three times, Peter, don't call anything unclean. Peter, don't call anything unclean. Peter, don't call anything unclean. Knock, knock, knock. Please, will you come and speak to Cornelius? And it's almost like God still doesn't trust Peter to join him. And even then, the Holy Spirit has to push him out the door to go with them without uh, objection. Uh, and so... Uh, therefore, he is um, told to, to head off. And therefore, eventually, the next day, ten people leave and they bring those two wires together in Cornelius's house. So Peter is catching on fast in verse 28. He's got it that the vision is not about food, it's about people. And Cornelius has learnt his lesson that it's not good works, but Jesus. Because that's who Peter talks to him about in verses 36 to 43. Now, it's very interesting that Peter, the, expert, the language experts say, that Peter is explaining about Jesus in a very Aramaic Jewish kind of way. Okay? That's how it's all structured in that uh, form of uh, communication. So he must have been using an interpreter to teach Cornelius at that time. But essentially, all the different things that he says about Jesus effectively boil down to those two things when he gets to uh, the Roman. One is that Jesus is God and therefore the judge. Okay, so Jesus is God, he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, he's uh, been anointed by God, 
And so therefore here is, if you like, God on earth. And therefore the implication of that in verse 42 is that uh, uh, they are to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. God judges the living and the dead. And Jesus judges the living and the dead. Okay, So Jesus is God who is judge. But equally, because of the cross that Peter is referred to, and because of verse 43, the second message is that Jesus can forgive. Those are two message, messages that anyone needs to hear if they are to become a Christian. That God one day will judge you, and that Jesus can save you. So what do you need to know? And you've got all the reason in the world to turn to him. Now you might think that that is actually uh, very short. Please can you tell me more? Well, yes. Go and read Mark's Gospel. Because Mark's Gospel is essentially taking those two things and amplifying them. Mark's Gospel is Peter's Gospel. Okay, Mark is just Peter's secretary. But if you read Mark's Gospel, you're reading what Peter wants to tell you about Jesus. And essentially Mark's Gospel takes those two things and bigs them up so you understand the colouring around it as well. He starts with uh, John's baptism and so on he goes. And Cornelius believes those two things about Jesus and then it's no surprise for us to read verse 44 which is that the Holy Spirit is poured upon him. While they were still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Why? Because they'd already heard, assembled to hear it and believe it. They took it from God, that that's what the message was. And so they believe, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And just as at the Jewish Pentecost, the Jews spoke to the nations about the great works of God. All the nations were there represented and the Jewish apostles spoke to them the great works of God. Now it seems to be the other way around and it seems now that the Gentiles are speaking in the same way. They're having the same Pentecost that the Jews had. And so presumably they turned around and started speaking Aramaic so they could understand the language. So you can sack the interpreter at that point because the Holy Spirit's come and Peter can say this is exactly what happened to us. And therefore he says, what is there to stop us baptizing them in verse 47? Yeah, they are, they're the same as Jews. The Holy Spirit has come to the Gentiles. They are now being made the same as the Jews. They've had the same experience. But he doesn't say, okay, therefore it's logical for us to go and circumcise them. He says, no. The new covenant sign should be given to them, which is baptism. And so therefore, baptism is a sign that God has accepted them. That's what baptism is. And so it's important for the church to give them the sign to confirm what God would say. And that acceptance is underlined in verse 48, right at the very end, where they continue staying with Cornelius, presumably eating all the food that the sale 
vision told them that they could eat. Because now they were living in their houses as if they were Jewish houses. The acceptance is full and complete. Now, that's a bit of a rush through the passage, the explanation of the passage. And in some ways I've already brought home the passage, but let me do that in a very specific way. With words that you won't see because I've chosen the wrong colour and I don't know what the colour is when it comes out on the screen. But let me read it to you. It says so at the top. Okay, at least it keeps you awake when you open your eyes that much wider to see if you can look at the screen. Okay, so what about Cornelius? What can we learn from him? Well, the simple message to learn is that however good you are, you need God to save you. Haven't you heard, going around the doors, people say, but what about the good person who's never heard the gospel, who lived far, far away, you know, out in Bongo, Bongo. And they haven't heard the gospel, they haven't heard about Jews, but they are good people. And as much as they can, they serve God in the best way they know how. And they pray to God lots. What about that person? Well, that's Cornelius, isn't it? I mean, to say... Well, God has created a seeker. Now what we need to do is to find someone to go to them because they need to be saved and what's good about them is great, but it's not enough to save them. And so that's why God has brought you. Never mind what's happened to the person out there. What about you? How will you respond? Because if you've heard this tonight... Well, you know that God has helped you to understand about Jesus, that he will be your judge, and that he can forgive you. Those two things. That you need to be saved, and that Jesus can save. Would you be like Cornelius? It's a wonderful thing to respond to God on the basis of those two simple reasons. And to know God filling your life and to grow in your understanding that God's goodness to you is far greater than any goodness that you've ever had. What a wonderful lesson to learn. And I wonder if maybe you're a Christian and maybe the reason you became a Christian is because of something completely different and smaller. But I became a Christian because there was a girl I liked and she went to church and so I went to church to go and meet the girl. That's uh, complete irrelevance but through that whole process I don't think anyone really becomes Christian until they go through the layers and say actually yes that might have been the reason why I took the next step I understood the next thing but in the end the reason why I'm a Christian today is because one day God will judge me and Jesus can save me that's ultimately the reason those two things never forget okay if you're not a Christian those are the two things that we need to remember. <coughs> that you need to be saved and that Jesus can, be, can save. Even though you might be wonderfully good and better than most Christians that you know. What happens if you've been to church lots? Uh, can you see that uh, church can be a great comfort zone? So rather than be a stepping stone, to take the gospel out to others, 
we build the church on the stepping stone and we say, right, okay, this is where we're going to stop. And therefore, what you find in most churches is they're just Christian versions of the Jewish religion. In other words, we want to stay where we are and we're happy to stay where we are and we're not going out to anybody else. Essentially, those churches are Christian by name but Jewish in every other way. I just like to stay within my own comfort zone. Now that you've got to say has to be a reason to question one colour only churches. Whether it be black predominantly black churches who love to stay in that comfort zone and don't want to mix or middle class white churches where people travel across the miles and across other areas in order to get to this central place where everybody's like me when I get there. I've got to say that actually that is just Judaism, it's not Christianity. It's just got a Christian name over the door but essentially what you've got is a God of the Old Testament that says keep away from everybody else. Now what if you are a real believer? Well it's worth asking, isn't it? What is a real believer? And this passage I think tells us a real believer is someone who understands God and therefore understands his purpose to save people who don't belong to him. And the real believer, therefore, is someone who understands this central thing about God and will therefore go out of their comfort zone to speak to other people because they know that their God finds that absolutely important and is passionate about doing that from the start of the Bible and all the way through. The prophets telling us that everyone who believes would be saved. Jesus telling us, go out to the ends of the earth. <coughs> and so therefore, we need to leave the comfort zone. Be comfort zone leaving people. And my friends, that is never easy. But the motivation for us to do that is to understand this is the priority for our God. And we need to follow that priority in his steps. And we need to do it because Peter is the one who had to tell Cornelius the gospel, not the angel. He got the angel in verse 3 and it would have been wonderful if you'd gone from the angel in verse 3 to the message in verse 36. So uh, that would have been very good, wouldn't it? If you'd gone from verse 3 to verse 36 and the angel did all the talking, that would have saved a lot of toing and froing, wouldn't it? But the angel doesn't do the talking. Peter has to come and do the talking. And Christians have got to go and do the talking. The angels won't come to our estate. We need to go to our estate. And the work needs to be done through us. And that's why God has taken the steps. He has put us together on this estate, the way that uh, Peter was put in Joppa. And that is why he has based you in your house, with your neighbours, 
in your family, in your job, because he wants you to leave the comfort zone of Sunday evening and go into the places where you mix with the Corneliuses on Monday morning. That's the purpose that he has. And so Joppa is the place where Peter found himself being called out of his comfort zone. And off he went. And in the process, it's like he cut the ribbon in front of the door that would then be opened for the first time to let the gospel through into the Gentile world and which would then keep going until he finally reached Dagnan and got to you and me as well. But this is, the this is the chapter in which God cuts the ribbon for that entry to take place. It's interesting, is it? It happened for Peter in Joppa, where he had to leave the comfort zone. Very interesting, many years before that, in Joppa, another man was asked to go to the Gentiles. His name was Jonah. And he caught the ship going the other way to Spain. Peter or Jonah? Which would you be? That is ultimately what God's word is for us. We've assembled to hear the word of God. This is what God says to us if we're believers. Staying in the comfort zone is the mark of a person who is not a Christian who doesn't understand what God is like, who doesn't have insight into his priorities. But the believer listens to God and says, that is your priority, Lord Jesus. That has to be my priority as well. Let me give you a moment to think about that. Perhaps in that silence to maybe ask God to save you, even though you might have been a really good person and are. Or maybe this moment is a good time for you to think of the people that you would struggle to speak to. The ones who don't really appeal to you. And pray for the conversations to begin. Let's have a moment of quiet and then I'll finish with a closing prayer. When I'm in a sup, maybe that's the conversation you want to carry on when you get home as well. But let me just sum up our thinking and to pray. Our Father, we are amazed at your determination to save. And we pray that you will give comfort to those who aren't saved. Uh, by, or will you convert them by giving them the ability to believe that Jesus will be their judge but that Jesus can save and forgive please would uh, many put those two together and cry out to him and be filled with his spirit and be marveled, m marveling at what he has done and please would you give us who already understand the Lord Jesus give us grace 
to understand that your desire is to save the ones that we may not even want to speak to and yet you want to save them so please help us to be converted ourselves like Peter and to go to them for Jesus sake Amen, Amen.